IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. Uh, it's happening, everyone. Yes, the COVID-19 pandemic may thankfully be under control in most parts of the world, and some normality may be returning to our day-to-day lives, but the fallout is starting to impact the industry and in a big way. Take the UK, for example, where the industry regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, is, at the time of recording, uh, duking it out with eight major insurers over business interruption claims. In Canada, Aviva was recently taken to court. Meanwhile, in the US, we've seen everything from restaurants to universities to tribal groups file lawsuits over their claims. In Australia, meanwhile, we've seen the Insurance Council of Australia and AFCA file their own test case into BI claims. It would take a brave person to come on to IB Talk and talk about this issue in the midst of so much controversy. But thankfully, that's what we have today. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the Vice President of Hospitality Insurance at Hub International, Karim Chandani. Karim, welcome to IB Talk. Paul, thanks uh, for having me. Always great connecting with you. So, Karim, uh, before we get on to the the burning topic of the day, um, let's talk a little bit about your career. Um, Because before joining this industry, you actually spent 15 years at Imperial Oil. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and and probably a little bit more, Paul. So it's uh, it's interesting. Um, My my career uh, really expanded, um, started out in retail in uh, in Toronto, where, where I grew up and um, took me into my own business, which was gas stations, Um, you know, family business as we started with grocery stores and delicatessens and gas stations. And uh, back in uh, 88, I decided to make the move out uh, out west uh, in the Seattle area where we had a family business. Uh, It was uh, actually one of the first joint ventures with the Chinese government. And uh, we owned an engine manufacturing company out of Panyu, China. And uh, so I, I moved out to Mount Lake Terrace uh, in, uh, in Washington State. And uh, soon after, um, wanted to get closer to uh, my girlfriend, then to be wife, and uh, moved to Vancouver. Uh, we then moved to Calgary, where I was still sort of focused on the retail side with companies uh, like the Bombay Company, Woodward's uh, a large retailer. Um, and, and then we moved back to, uh, you know, Vancouver in about the 95 uh, time frame. And uh, I went back to what I knew, and that was gas stations. So I uh, operated uh, about five different gas stations and, um, you know, just, just wonderful memories. Uh, but it took, it took its toll after, after a while and uh, decided I slowly wanted to uh, get out of business, slow life down. And um, uh, a great fellow uh, a community partner uh, with charitable work that I, that I did, Dave McFarland from Hub International, uh, suggested I look at the insurance field. And, and uh, my first comment was, uh, no way, I do not want to be uh, one of those guys that my friends run away from. <laughs> I was actually thinking... Uh, life insurance and and I uh, met with our president Tina Olson 
who said, Kareem, you know, you, you should really consider the sales side. And I again said, no, that's not something I'm interested in. So I joined Hub International um, working on, uh, uh, on the auto side with uh, a replacement product uh, company that they had purchased called Callwood Insurance, which was just a, a fantastic entry pay, entryway into uh, the insurance world for me. But, you know, soon after, I just had people constantly ask me, hey, I heard your insurance. Can you help me? And um, just one of the, one of the best uh, bosses that I've ever had, James Bolio, um, suggested that I take insurance courses, which I'm so grateful that I took his advice. And uh, soon after, I think about a year and a half after, I decided to make a switch uh, to the sales side. Uh, so it's uh, just a terrific transition, and um, I absolutely love what I'm doing. That's brilliant. I think your enthusiasm really comes across. But you, you, you spoke there about a, a deal with the Chinese government. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. So we would uh, think back to the Datsuns and the Toyotas. You know, it wasn't called Nissan back there. It was Datsun. And so we would take the uh the core, the engines, and uh, the, you know that were broken down, and and we would be sending these cores uh, back to Penyu, China. Uh, the factory there would refurbish the cores, send them back, and then we would be uh, having a you know a, we called it Speedy Engine Masters, our, our retail side, where we would then put these engine cores into vehicles that people's engines had gone bust. So rather than an engine replacement costing three four thousand uh, dollars, we could do this for under a thousand dollars, maybe twelve hundred dollars. So. It was it was uh, it was a very interesting uh, business model with uh, uh, my mom's eldest brother uh, as a partner, and um, you know I, I I have trouble changing a light bulb, so understanding mechanics of a vehicle was very difficult for me. Uh, it, it was a great experience uh, for the time that I did it in the family business, but just not something that was really up my alley. And you mentioned there as well um, about sort of making that transition into insurance and, um, you know, perhaps wanting to kind of run from your friends and so on. Um, what was it like in those sort of first few days as you kind of got used to the industry, I guess? And, um, you know, was it, was, it, was it difficult to make that transition? You know, I, um, Paul, I really got a good understanding because even as a business owner, um, and this is what I quickly figured out. I, I didn't know about my insurance. I just signed every year uh, on the renewals. And, you know, it wasn't just gas stations we owned. Uh, I was a partner in a, in a dairy in, uh, in British Columbia. Um, we had, you know, real estate holdings uh, throughout Canada, uh, some in the, in the U.S., you know, uh, such as trailer parks in Texas. But I, I never really focused on the insurance side. And as I was taking these courses and, and learning all of these things, I, I knew that I had to educate the people that I knew or who were coming to me for help in insurance. So um, my network and my friends are all either hotel owners, uh, business owners, or they own a lot of real estate. And, you know, as I was starting to, to talk to them about what I'm learning, uh, I quickly discovered that, just like me, they really didn't know about insurance. 
they didn't understand coinsurance. They didn't understand why uh, BI needs to be at 100% coinsurance, why building needs to be at 90. What does that mean? What's the implications? So what I quickly figured out is that through my education and what I was learning in insurance, I was actually educating people, aka my friends, who then said, my brokers never said that to me. Hey, can you quote this for me? And um, so I, I became a quoter, and, and I think that many uh, insurance people are quoters uh, because somebody says, hey, give me a quote. You get their information. You, out, you go out and you give them a quote. And after listening to a very successful uh, fellow, Larry Grant, from our company, and, and this guy's just just phenomenal, at one of our sales conferences, I made the decision that I'm no longer going to be a quoter. And if somebody wanted to work with me or uh, understood what I am trying to provide to them in terms of information and why they should be working with me and Hub International, that either they are going to basically uh, be committed to me and not somebody else, or I'm not going to work with them. And that was the real change in, in strategy for me. It was a real change in, in my career path and one that really helped me grow. Uh, it just made it an, an easy transition that either people wanted to work with me and appreciated uh, what I brought to the table, the information that I would supply, the constant connection, um, updating them on what's happening in the market, um, and, and, you know, th that's the part I love. It's, it's really educating people on what insurance is all about. And you've had a, an amazing run, haven't you? I, I believe you've only been selling for about four years, um, but you're, you're now one of the, the top performers at, you know, a huge international brokerage. Yeah, you know it's uh, uh, it, it's fun and and uh, it, it it's it's not work. Uh, this this is, this is such a pleasure. Uh, you know, I've, I've hit some. I, I think uh, from what people tell me, some very good numbers. Uh, I'm happy. I, I look at this year as in a COVID year, and I've done more business this year than I did probably in the last two and a half. Uh, it's it's unbelievable what the power of referrals is and uh, when you're doing uh, good work which i feel uh, i'm doing then people are more than happy to say i got a great guy you should speak with him and and to me that that's the ultimate is um is is that referral from a client it's uh, it's quite rare that that i go out so-called hunting for business and i mean everybody does initially you you have to you got to get your name out there um but now it's um it's not sitting back and waiting but now what i find is that i'm constantly getting somebody the other contacting me hey could you help me can you help my brother-in-law my buddy you know um and and that's the difference is that uh, I, I i believe it speaks to the quality of of the work that my team does um and also uh, the quality of the work that Hub International does. You know, we've got some some pretty incredible uh, people in our company. You know, we've got 13,000 employees and, and probably approaching 500 offices. But when we can help a client um, with, with their pet insurance, their home insurance, their car insurance, uh, their employee benefits, their life insurance, you know, their property, uh, that we can take everything and, and bring it in one package. Um, 
that, that's powerful. That's powerful because you're not now dealing with five, ten people uh, and, and talking about insurance three, four, five, six times a year. Uh, you're able to bring everything home in one. So, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, what Hub brings as a brokerage and um, just grateful to be part of that company. Let's focus in on the, the issue of the day then, because, you know, as we mentioned, you are the, the vice president of hospitality uh, for Hub. And I guess your clients in particular must have been hit really hard by the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's been devastating. Um, I, I go back, Paul, to when this started mid-March. And uh, there's many clients that, uh, that I shed tears with. Uh, there's many clients that... Uh, I, I just spent a lot of time on the phone with. There was a lot of hand-holding. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what was happening. And um, it, it, it was really the power of connecting with them, um, just being on the phone with them, assuring them that this was not only happening to them, that this is industry-wide. Uh, it wasn't just their hotel. Uh, it, it was every hotel in the same position. Um, the burn rate and, you know, what people were losing, even if they're deferring all these loans and everything else. We've got people that, you know, are, are in the $2 million a month range and others that are in the $500,000 a month range and, and money starts drying up, uh, particularly in Alberta. When you look at that economy and that market has been hit uh, for many years um versus toronto vancouver where you know the the occupancy rates were traditionally quite high the room revenue was quite high uh and um you know we look at today i think we're we're about uh 60% off uh which is which is better than it was about a month month and a half ago so there's been a severe impact some of the things that that we did as an organization um was, was just incredible with our specialty practices. We put out a lot of risk service information that, that helped clients in terms of, okay, here's going to be the next pattern of what's going to happen. Um, you know, you're going to need to open your restaurant or your hotel. Here's some checklists on what you need to do, you know, your, your PPE, uh, really a step by step process. And those little things, as little as they may seem, gave our clients and our prospects um, just so much additional information versus other brokers that they may have been with. It really put us on the leading edge. And and I really credit our, our leadership, uh, our marketing teams at Hub International and uh, our specialty practice leaders in terms of uh, having all of this information uh, shared so that we could actually share it uh, with our clients and um, be it via LinkedIn or others to help them uh, get back uh, on their feet with their business. But how do you feel about sort of the, the big picture situation, if you want? Because, you know, on one hand, as you just mentioned, I mean, you must sympathize so much with your clients and, and, and so many of them must be you know, desperate and, and face potentially going out of business. But then on the other hand, I'm sure, you know, with, with your insurance hat on, so to speak, uh, you've got to sort of sympathize with, with the insurers who, for the most part, you know, did not design policies expecting a situation like this and now find themselves perhaps on the hook uh, for a lot of these losses. Uh, where do you kind of stand on, on, on the situation? So uh, as I've told many clients who've had these massive 
increases, and I'm just going to digest for a second, even despite COVID, despite lower revenues, being in a hard insurance market and seeing 35 to 100% increases on their insurance, which is totally unaffordable. Um, it, it, is, it is difficult. And um, I spend more money on lotteries than I ever have. Because anytime, uh, just like tomorrow, when there's a big jackpot, now 70 million, I keep saying that, look, if I win this lottery, I'm going to help out every client of mine that has had an increase by paying for that amount of increase. And, you know, I feel for them. This is a terrible time. And then I look at your question of, of BI and and what should happen. So, you know, I'm going to give you my perspective that, that I share with clients. Uh Insurance companies have not made money on insurance premiums probably in the last five or seven years. And, you know, clients say, oh, that's that's a bunch of crap. You know, they're, they're making all this money from us. I've got no claims. Uh, and even with COVID, they're like, we're not getting paid for BI. And, I'm, and I have to remind them that think of the retirement homes. Think of all the lawsuits that that industry is facing. And the insurance companies are no longer just a British Columbia or a North or a Canada or a North America. These are global organizations for the most part. So even if you look at the Canadian industry and if they're not making money and interest rates are low, they're not making the investment income that they used to, premiums have to go up because they are not able to keep up with the cost and the claims. So that's number one. And after I explain that, I give them the other side that I understand you want to have or participate in a lawsuit or you want to have your uh, BI claim paid. Uh, however, if every claim is paid, what do you think will happen to your premiums in the next two to five years going forward? So the way I look at it, it really is a double-edged sword that if companies are forced to be paid to to pay these premiums or uh, claims for BI that they need to recover this money somehow or they're, they're going to go out of business which is going to mean less insurance companies which is going to mean higher premiums so is it worth for somebody to get perhaps a million dollars in business interruption paid today and then pay out another two million dollars over the next two three four years in higher premiums are they going to be able to stay in business? It, this is a very, very tough uh, question, Paul, and in terms of what the right answer is. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the lawsuit uh, that is going on or the multiple lawsuits. You know, we've analyzed policies from all our carriers. We were actually one of the first companies as a brokerage to encourage our clients to put in a claim uh, because we ourselves did not know what, the right answer is here what is going to happen and and we took some flack from insurance companies but we were looking after our clients and that's our first goal is is what is right for the client um we had our claims team i mean gary cooper just just did so much work on on going through and and analyzing each policy analyzing the wordings to say does business interruption apply here and there's three triggers, and the triggers are not there. There is no real property damage. So as far as the wordings on the current policies, no, there is no coverage. Uh, that being said, uh, in Toronto, there, there is one hotel uh, with restaurant operations 
that uh, we successfully were able to get a business interruption claim paid for for the restaurant operation piece. So that's an amazing achievement. You know, uh, listen, the, the client's happy, we're happy. Um, the, the difference was that the policy was not entirely with one insurance carrier. Uh, the restaurant operation was broken out uh, to another carrier uh, that uh, um, that is a UK-based carrier rather than uh, a North American or a Canadian carrier, and their policy wordings did not have that exclusion. Now, you look at what's happening today. Each insurance company is double insuring that um, the pandemic clause is put in, and there there is no coverage. So, you know, tough situation, feel terrible for our clients. Um, and, and like you said, you know, we, we wear two hats. We work with insurance companies uh, and we work with our clients. And uh, we need to manage both those relationships. Uh, as, as far as I look at the relationships with our carriers, that's really not my job. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's levels above me that, that manage all of that. Uh, my job really is to do what I can for my clients. And we, we took all of those steps right from the beginning uh, by double-checking their policies, by uh, having them file their claims. And, um, you know, our reasoning was we just don't know what's going to happen. And, and it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know which way the courts are going to go, but um, reading some of the, the lawsuits out of Michigan for restaurants or uh, hotels, um, in the U.S., nothing has gone through so far. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Canada. I see this taking many, many years before we get a resolution. And what do you think the the long term solution is? Because you know, I mean, heaven forbid, but we could have a you know pandemic in the future, and and we've heard talks of you know like a pandemic re style concept, um, a collaboration between governments and insurers to ensure situations like this don't happen again. Do you think something like that is is a possibility, or or do you have any ideas? Yeah, and and so we're already starting to see. I think there's two different insurers now that are offering a pandemic style COVID exclusion, but next pandemic style uh, coverage. Uh, it's, it's really, who wants to pay for this? And, and I'll give you, give you a simple example. We have coverages today uh, where terrorism is an exclusion on insurance policies, uh, as is active shooter. Now, if I go to a client and, and, and let me add in cyber in here, uh, to say, look, there are just tremendous amounts of cyber breaches going on. Uh, I'd like you to consider this coverage, and it's going to cost you a thousand to three thousand dollars a year. And here's what it's going to pay for in the event you have a cyber breach. And most people uh, look at their financial position and say that is not something I can afford or something I need. Whether it's cyber, whether it's terrorism, whether it's active shooter. Uh, the only time they will purchase it is that if they are forced to. And what I mean by that is they're mandated by their brands. So if they're with a Hilton or a Marriott or, or an IHG and they've got a, a hotel that is close to the airport or in that vicinity, they will be required to have terrorism coverage. Or they could be a downtown hotel, uh, depending on, on the size. So 
you know, with, with most hoteliers and really they're, they're real estate owners, um, you know, that's where the appreciation is. They're not really making day-to-day money uh, in, in owning a hotel. Um, you know, they're, they're about cap rates. They're about the bottom line. And, uh, you know, they want to make sure that they are able to get the best uh, return on, on their investment. And insurance is just one of those added costs that nobody likes. So there's going to be coverages. There is coverages out there for pandemic that are going to come up, um, not knowing what the costs are. Uh, Paul, you don't know, just like cyber. Uh, is somebody going to pay for that? And and that's the big question is, is who's going to pay? And, um, you know, is, is the client willing to dish out another few thousand dollars on top of their um, insurance costs? It's going to be a fascinating period, that's for sure. Uh, do you have any tips that you could just offer, you know, anybody, perhaps uh, any hospitality brokers out there at the moment who are perhaps, you know, dealing with clients who are facing similar struggles? Any any words of advice that you can pass on? You know, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a real challenge. What we're facing, especially in, in a few sectors, uh, hospitality, real estate, um, you know, being being part of that, is there is tremendous pressure on price. And uh, I, I can only suggest to let your clients know very early that this is what your brokerage is seeing in terms of increases. Uh, prepare them and uh, let them know there is nothing worse than going at the last minute and saying, oh, you know, I got a 50% increase. That's the best I could do. But if you've had that conversation months in advance, uh, this is what's happening in the industry. This is how we plan on marketing your account. This is what we're hoping to to achieve. And, um, and just be realistic. You know what? There is going to be an increase. Uh, it just comes down to how much can you limit that increase. I, I want to switch pace with you, Kareem, before we run out of time. Because I, I know you're also a, a very charitable person. I think that deserves to be talked about here. Um, tell us a little bit about your charity work. So, you know, uh, it's it's funny because um, I, 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 as an Ismaili Muslim, as uh, as a Canadian and the follower of the Aga Khan, um, giving back has, has always been something that is uh, inherited in you and, and instilled in you. Uh, via your parents, your community. And um, when I first started at Hub and, you know, I f- finished my first year and got my my salary and then I got this this check and I'm like, what the heck is this for? Well, this is for all this other business you did. And I'm like, whoa, I was not expecting this. And I donated the money. Um, and, and, you know, my favorite cause is the Aga Khan Foundation. And, um, and I find that uh, I, I do that because... Uh, there's just so much, uh, let's call it unpaid volunteers that are part of the organization. So everything really goes to the various causes globally, um, uh, non-denominational. So whether it's a, a school in Kenya or, um, you know, a girl's school in, in, in India, it's, um, it's something to really help the economies. It focuses on, on women, um, women in business and micro loans. So, you know, giving a 500 or a $100 loan and how much uh, it, it changes, um, the entire financial outlook for a family in, in these third world countries. So uh, I started with that and, and it's funny the next year, you know, again, uh, I, I got a better handle on, Oh, this is how I make money in insurance. And I did the same thing. And um, it, it, uh, it, it just 
takes me back to, I was having a conversation with my boss and, and uh, I said, Tim, you know what? I just want to keep making more and more because I find that the more I'm giving, the more business I'm getting. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, I look at it, God's looking after me. Um, we're, we're blessed as a family with, uh, with uh, just everybody being healthy, being happy, you know, having great friends and uh, great social networks. Uh, we want to give back to, uh, as much as we can. Um, and, and one of the, the latest uh, uh, donations that uh, we're making is uh, to the Aga Khan Museum in, uh, in Toronto and uh, a significant donation to, to help uh, that organization uh, for all the work that they do. I think I think those words will be you know really really inspiring for a lot of our, our listeners. Um, we are sadly out of time, um, but for everybody out there who who might want to sort of get hold of you on the back of this and maybe continue the the business interruption conversation or or just you know find out a little bit more about you, uh, how can they reach out to you, Karim? You know, LinkedIn is best. Um, I'm I'm fairly good on on email. Uh, Karim Chandani at hubinternational.com and uh, yeah it's uh, you know i find linkedin uh, probably the easiest way to connect yeah thank you very very much kareem um ladies and gentlemen thank you for tuning in uh, i'm paul lucas this is ib talk and we'll talk to you all again next week thanks paul thank you for listening to this episode of ib talk follow us on soundcloud stitcher and apple podcasts for the latest episodes